Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. It's August 18th. 1868, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie, the Retrospectors. Even more so than Pin the Tail on the Donkey or the Birdie Song, nothing gets laughs at a children's party more than someone taking a swig of a floating balloon and showing off their squeaky voice. <laughs> a classic party trick that wouldn't be possible without the discovery Jules Janssen made today in history in 1868 when he spotted the first ever sign of the element which would later be christened helium. Yeah, Janssen was actually initially a bank clerk but then graduated from the University of Paris and became a physics professor, curiously, at the like largest architecture university in Paris. But anyway, he was a particularly enthusiastic observer of eclipses. And on this day, he found himself in India investigating the possibilities of what this newfangled instrument called a spectroscope could do. Yeah, so this wasn't in a lab what happened on this day, the discovery of helium. This wasn't a chemist deliberately playing around with elements. This was an astronomer observing a total solar eclipse in India. That's what he was there to do when he noticed a bright yellow line with a wavelength of, and this will be relevant later, 587.49 nanometers <laughs> in the spectrum of the chromosphere of the sun. And he was not expecting to receive that reading. Yeah, so a spectral line is kind of an interruption of the spectrum and the shape and colour of the lines can indicate all kinds of elements that might be impacting the atmosphere around a star, including temperature, pressure, magnetic fields, or in this case, the presence of a specific element. Modern observation equipment can detect thousands of spectral lines in the sun's chromosphere. But in the 19th century, this was really difficult to observe because of the blinding light generated by the sun. The eclipse made it so much easier to observe the chromosome and the corona, the outer layer of the sun using the instruments they had available, including the spectroscope, which used a prism to refract light into a spectrum that had been invented in 1814. Yeah, in the mid-19th century, spectroscopy was this novel technique that was really fascinating astronomers and scientists. And basically, it was this handheld device that allowed you to look at the spectral composition of light. And so as this eclipse passed over India, Janssen was looking at the colours of the uh, sun's corona he noticed something unusual, which was that one peculiar line, this particularly bright yellow one, seemed to have the spectral signature of sodium, but it differed just one nanometer in wavelength. And this minute discrepancy bothered Janssen, and he couldn't shake off the idea that it might signify something unique and new. Yeah, and when you say it appeared to have the composition of sodium... The reason it appeared like that is when you're using a spectroscope from 92 million miles away <laughs> from the object you're looking at, you can't immediately identify what you're looking at anyway. You needed the accompanying paperwork to make sense of it. So every element on the periodic table that they knew about produced a characteristic pattern of thin coloured lines that looked a bit like a barcode. So what he's doing is he's looking at what he can see and he's thinking, OK, it should be 589 nanometers. But this line from the eclipse is 588 nanometers. It looks like sodium, but maybe it isn't. Maybe it's something I don't know about. I can see red, aqua and purple, which, check notes, is the code for hydrogen. 
and I can see a double yellow line, which should be sodium, but it doesn't quite read. Have I just seen the first element not discovered on Earth, an element we don't know about? Yeah, it was actually a guy called Norman Lockyer who observed the same thing just a few months later. It's crazy that helium had just been hanging out undisturbed for millions of years out in space, and then suddenly these two guys on opposite sides of the channel independently discover it just a few months apart using the same method. Lockyer was the first one to actually attribute the line to the presence of a mystery element. You know, this is the thing. Janssen wasn't quite sure, but he assumed it was something that was found also on Earth. He just didn't know what it was. It was Lockyer who then came in and said it's something that hasn't actually been discovered on Earth at all. He actually believed that it wasn't present on Earth. He gave it the name helium from the Greek for sun, precisely because it was found in, you know, in the sun's atmosphere. It wasn't until 1881 an Italian scientist called Luigi Palmieri detected the presence of helium on Earth, although he didn't detect the helium itself. He was analysing an eruption of Mount Vesuvius, again through spectral lines, and saw the spectral line for it. It would be 27 years after this day that the Scottish chemist William Ramsey became the first person to isolate actual helium on Earth, which he did while experimenting with applying sulfuric acid to uranium ore. He was an absolute beast, Ramsey. He also discovered and named argon, neon, Krypton and Xenon. <laughs> I think you've got to get in there with the names, haven't you? That's the thing. Yeah. Like you see the thing, you've got to say it's helium. Yeah. Like just like Lockyer did, because because it doesn't matter. Then people forget who actually saw it first. So like he's the guy who named it. I mean, preferably get it named after you. Joseph Fraunhofer was the guy who first observed the sun in the early 1800s. He got the black lines that he observed named after him. He didn't even know what they were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the funny thing, that there was this kind of race that was on between Janssen and Lockyer to not necessarily name the thing that they'd observed, but at least report it back to the French Academy of Sciences in Paris, which is the point at which your discovery becomes something of, you know, scientific record other than rather than just a thing that you've observed and said to yourself and then gone about your day. Um, and so they... It's such a funny idea, isn't it? Like, this is scientific discovery. This isn't race across the f- yeah. world. Do you know what I mean? Like, who gets well, to the French Academy of Sciences first shouldn't be who discovered yeah. it. I've got to say that I think Janssen had the great final move on this because in 1889, Lockyer would be the recipient of the Janssen medal. If you're in a rivalry over who's a better astronomer, that feels like your checkmate move. <laughs> there is one version of the story where like, both their letters arrive on the same day. I don't know if that's true, yeah. but that, that would be a hilarious moment in the French Academy of Sciences, where I imagine life moved at a slow pace. And they suddenly thought, who are we going to name this after? Well, I encountered that story as well, and I think there must be some truth to it considering the fact that the French Academy of Sciences decided that both of these men should be uh, allocated equal responsibility for the discovery of helium, even though they took... Well, that definitely means Lockyer's arrived first, (laughs) if this is the French Academy of Science, deciding they should share the honour. Just (laughs) sat on it for a few days until they could get... uh, (laughs) Yeah, get Janssen's in. Well, we do actually have what the astronomer Hervé Fay suggested, which was something of a compromise. Uh, Quote, instead of trying to proportion the merit of the discovery and consequently diminishing it, would it be better (laughs) to attribute, at least in part to the Frenchman, as you say, Rebecca, would it be better to attribute impartially the whole honour to both of these men of science who, separated by some thousands of miles, have each been fortunate enough to reach the intangible and invisible by a method which is probably the most astonishing that the genius of observation has ever conceived? Interestingly, you'll note they're not actually discussing who gets credit for helium Mm. because... um, in, in science terms, it still hadn't been recognised yet. Like They knew they'd seen it, but it wasn't officially recognised because it hadn't been found on Earth. So actually, they were looking for 
who gets credit for discovering a new way of observing the sun without an eclipse? Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't always work during an eclipse. The following year, the American astronomers Charles Young and William Harkness spotted a new spectral line, a green one, thinking that they were onto something. They took it to be a new element and they called it coronium. They at least got to die thinking they had discovered a new element because (laughs) in the 30s, the line was identified as highly ionised iron. (laughs) Meanwhile, helium has become a sort of fundamental part of 21st century life. It's used in all sorts of um, chemical processes, MRI scanners. Computer parts, anything with a semiconductor chip or using fibre optic cables, microscopes, airbags, the Large Hadron Collider, welding, diving. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it is actually a finite resource on Earth, isn't it? They've recently found a way to mine more helium than they thought they had five or six years ago when there was a panic. But still... One day it's going to run out. Yeah, so much so that actually there's some criticism about the idea of using it to fill balloons and make your voice go funny because it is sufficiently finite and sufficiently important for various scientific applications that various people say, actually, we shouldn't be wasting it. This, in spite of the fact that, and I don't know if you guys encountered this when you were researching or just knew it anyway, that like it's the second most common element in the universe after hydrogen. Hydrogen makes up 70% of of the universe. Helium, meanwhile, is 28% of the universe, meaning that everything else has to squeeze into that final remaining 2%. Isn't that sort of bonkers? Or did just everyone know this except me? So does that mean all aliens have squeaky voices? <laughs> they must do. That's, that, that is correct. Follows. Yeah. <laughs> and so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.